Hello there and welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Orvin for the final time this year and we have a lot to cover. First and foremost, Kate, let's just get straight to it, shall we? We may have very well seen on Sunday the very best of football at its peak. We may very well have seen the very best of sports in that moment. Um, there are people suggesting that this... World Cup final was the best ever. There are people suggesting that we have witnessed the greatest player ever. There are people suggesting that it's all a bit overhyped. Um, the point is, is that there's a lot to talk about with this World Cup. Um, it it was overshadowed in uh, uncertainty, for sure, coming into it, um, with the political situation and various other things. Um but I wonder, do we consider this World Cup ultimately to be a success? You know, it's funny that you that you ask me that because, first of all, from a game standpoint, from a footballing on the pitch standpoint, I think it checked every single box. And if you weren't a fan of the sport, of the game, of the tournament before now, then I don't know what's going to make you a fan. And I had people yesterday during the match texting me that aren't soccer fans probably haven't watched a game in a year, maybe four years since the last world cup. But that is the beauty of the world cup. That's the beauty of this game is it draws people in that aren't normally that fan, you know, neighbors that literally are like what this game is nuts, you know? And, and I think that is, you know, we, we kind of come up with these, uh, taglines, you know, the to inspire, to unite, you know, and Minnesota United, I remember talking about when you're coming up with sort of what is the motto, what is the theme, and that is what this game does, and that is what the World Cup in particular did and does, and so I think on the pitch, on the field, from a tournament standpoint, from a global standpoint, it would be considered a success, even before that insane final. Do I know what the on-the-ground in Qatar feeling was do I mean of course there was a lot made leading into it and when it just started about the different things that went into this and and should Qatar even had it you know all those kinds of things but from a footballing soccer uniting the world everybody coming together and um enjoying this beautiful game I think it checked every single box and then for Messi and Argentina to win that game for the game to be played the way it was to I mean I don't know like I you I don't know how you could ask for it. You could not have written up a better, like a Hollywood script. Like you, if you said, hey, let's write this craziness. And then someone 20, 30 years from now watches that, they'll be like, oh, well, it must have, they pro Hollywood probably did something there to kind of jazz <laughs> that one up. But this is like the real deal. This is what happened. Yeah, it, it was legitimately the perfect script. Um, I, 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 and maybe there's a bit of recency bias here, but I, I was legitimately thinking about this the other day. Um, Ahead of ahead of the game, I thought it was it was set for Messi to to win it all. It, that that that's, that was the that was the message from everybody that that Messi was going to win this all, thus becoming the greatest player of all time, and, and ending the Ronaldo Messi debate and all that kind of stuff. Which I think it, but for me, it's ended the Ronaldo Messi debate. But I'm not sure it's ended the Messi greatest all time debate because I think that's going to be had for generations because we've never seen 
Pele play, we never will see uh, the likes of Eusebio play and everything. So we th that debate is, is always going to be there. And that's great. That's a good thing. Um, football's all about debate. Um, but le leading up to it, it, it did feel almost blockbuster-esque, didn't it? It, it? You expected something. And boy, we got something, didn't we? It, it was, uh, as I said earlier on, I can't think of a more compelling final. Um, the first ever World Cup final I remember, Kay, was was 98. So that was my first sort of memories of a World Cup. I was about eight years old then. Um, and so I was trying to think this morning of, of, of other World Cup finals and what they were like. And they're usually tight affairs. They're usually quite intense. And, and, and this was. But um, a lot of them usually uh, aren't extremely high scoring. They're either a 1-0 or a 2-1 or something along those lines. This had everything, as you insinuated. This this may very well, Kay. And again, we, we we may be we may be talking like this because of, of recency bias, but I find it hard to believe that we've had a better World Cup final. It it just had absolutely everything. And I think I agree with you in the sense that, especially not that we're of the younger generation, and I'm ten years older than you. But I do think that like listening to everybody else talk about it, people that have been around and even played in several World Cups um, say the same thing, that it kind of supported how I felt. And I would assume that they're thinking in their brains the same concept. You're trying not to have this recency bias. But I don't know how you can look at that game. And there's like historians of the game. And I'm with you, the, the whole concept of, you know, oh, is this the greatest player ever? Like, that, that debate will rage on because people just have their own opinions, first of all, sure. and how you qualify. Do, does this make him, does this make him the legend of Argentina? Does he surpass Maradona? I mean, I don't know, you know, like it's, it, that, that may be a different debate to rage on, but there will continue to be great players that come after Messi. We've already got a Kylian Mbappe who is, you know, quiet uh, to Argentina's credit for 99% of the game. But then when he needed to come up big, he came up big. And that's what big players do. So I just think that this game literally had everything. It had the emotion. It had the passion. It had the energy. And if I'm sitting at home on my couch watching this and feeling this, and I'm not a Argentinian and I'm not French, I can only imagine what that feels like to be a person who's, you know, from one of those countries invested in that, in that kind of moment, and none of us will ever know what it even feels like to be Lionel Messi and that kind of pressure that comes with what he's, you know, had over his life and his career. And I get it. It's, you know, these are sort in, in a vein, a first world issue, right? You're, you're, when we talk about pressure and we talk about stress, we're talking about him feeling like, is he the greatest player? Can he bring it home? Can he, you know, get, get a world cup trophy, but it's an intensity that I'm not sure any of us will under understand unless you've been in that moment in that situation. And if you didn't enjoy that game, I just, something is, you know, you need to go to the doctor because that was incredible. And um, that is why we play the game. That's why we love sports is the unpredictability of it. It's, and I, I do, I want to say too, give a little credit to the officials. I thought they did a great job in this game. And yep. I think that that could completely change the feeling and the tone of a game. And I think he, let them play just enough, called the fouls when necessary, kept control of it. There wasn't anything where, you know, you're like, oh, wait, like a, like a conspiracy theory behind it in the run of play. I, I just thought that they did a tremendous job. And, um, you know, we saw Ishmael Alfaf, obviously, on, as the fourth official, and he's uh, an MLS official. So kudos to the crew as well. But what a game.
Yeah, there was a bunch of Americans on the officiating crew, wasn't there? Assistant VARs and what have you. And it, it was a, a great day for the officials, for sure. Always good when they don't grab the headlines, for sure. Um, it, it was um, just an amazing experience. Um, I, I actually went into to New York City, into Manhattan to watch the game. And um, I, uh, I had a really interesting experience, Kay, in the sense of, with it being New York City, it, it is full of international people from all around the world. And so I'm on the subway heading into um, a little area called West Village. Um, and, you know, it's still very new. I don't, I don't know where things are, it, you know. Um, but what I noticed was so many French and Argentine jerseys, flags, uh, T-shirts. Um, and, and I loved it. It, it felt like a, a true, it felt like an international event because it is. I know, I know that's a, an extremely silly thing to say, but sometimes, you know, um, in a country where this isn't the number one sport, sometimes these big events do, uh, I think, not get the uh, the attention that they deserve. And um, this didn't feel like that at all. It felt amazing. And, and the the place I went to watch the game was um, was a small little tavern, and it was great. There were, there were fans of both sides. There was no trouble. Um, it just felt like it. it it felt like the World Cup final. It, it really, really felt um, like it, it got the attention it deserved. And um, and then on on the subway back home here, and um, again there's there's Argentine fans singing and dancing on the subway and stuff, and and it was it was absolutely incredible. Uh, and it, it it for a moment, you know, I I, I know compared to from what we've seen from a, a picture point of view, what Buenos Aires looks like, and, and I can only imagine what that experience was like. But it felt for a second as though um, it, it felt as though we were in South America, it felt as though we were in Argentina for a second, seeing all the fans singing and dancing and whatnot. And it was great. It was absolutely unbelievable. Um, and, and Argentina had every right to sing and dance because, um, as we sort of insinuated, they, they won perhaps the most compelling football match I think many of us have ever seen. Um, and it's interesting that you say as well that uh, Mbappe um, didn't have a great game. I actually thought he, um, I actually thought he looked lost because Didier Deschamps made a couple of changes before half-time. And I understand why, um, because in, in my opinion, uh, France were too deep and Argentina were threatening the living daylights out of them uh, and they couldn't get out and they couldn't play the ball up to the big man. And as soon as they went 2-0 down, they had to rethink things and they had to counter-press. And that's why Mbappe, at least in, in that situation, started as a, as a centre-forward and then drifted out wide a lot more. But I thought Mbappe, for a while, you could tell he was sort of playing between two positions and didn't, he didn't seem like he had a grasp on what his role was. Um, and I tweeted out actually that he looked a bit lost, and then all of a sudden he scored two goals. <laughs> and um, such is the beauty of the game. Um, the penalty I thought was a penalty, uh, and then the, the second France goal um, was was so well taken. That the thing as well about this case, not not only was it a great game, some of the goals were magnificent, weren't they? And I didn't have a single a single question about the penalties. You know, I mean, it's just right. one of those things where. You know, especially some of the offside, not offside calls, like the, everything that we've seen in this tournament with the enhancement of the technology and everything else. I mean, that that, that one Argentina goal, I mean, could it if he had leaned just a tiny bit more and his wrist yeah. would have been, in, you know, just all these things. It was like it was meant to be. And um, yeah, the goals, the way they were scored, the way they were taken. The pressure on the penalties, not the penalty kicks, you know, at the end of the match, but even in the midst of the game with those players and how many penalties they had taken already in the tournament and the mind game of 
which way you're going to go. The goalies have, you know, the goalkeepers have studied and do you go the same way? Do you change it up? And it's just everything about it. And the big players showed up in big moments. There were some new stars that were born in this tournament. And even within these teams, you know, French, the French, we knew coming in, missing a lot of players, but they still found a way to, you know, find themselves in the, in the championship. And I would, I would like to believe without being French, that when Argentina ends up winning this game and Messi gets his World Cup trophy, that there wasn't anybody that, you know, felt like they it wasn't deserved or, you know, you can almost sort of in a weird way be happy for Argentina and Messi, even if you're French, because of um, the way, you know, because of the quality of the player and the respect that you have for the player and the team, um, you know, and you got yours last time, so let somebody mm. <laughs> let Messi have a turn at it but yeah everything about this game was there any one particular moment in this game in this match that you know you had a different sort of a feeling and not necessarily a goal maybe just you know something that like was like this is why we love this game I, I think the the second Mbappe goal the second French goal because Argentina looked so comfortable and confident to know that and then, like I said, I, I literally tweeted out that I thought Mbappe was uh, Mbappe looked lost, and just within an instant, he scores a penalty. France get a chance on the, on the edge of the penalty area, and he puts it away beautifully. And the game changes completely. And and I just thought to myself, correct me if I'm wrong, Ike. You know I am extremely naive when it comes to other, um, particularly U.S. sports. Um, I don't think games change that quickly uh, in American sports. And and I just kind of thought to myself. This is why it's the best game in the world, because it can change in an instant. And the age-old saying is that 2 is the, the most dangerous scoreline. And, you know, sure, I, I agree, and that's evidence of it. But you would still take a 2-0 lead in the World Cup final. But that, that for me, the Mbappe second goal was was a moment where I kind of thought, yeah, this, this is the greatest sport in the world. This is the greatest event uh, that, that we can possibly have. Um, and uh, the the extra time, I think I, I was actually, and I'm sure the rest of the world felt this way, when the final whistle went and we had an extra 30 minutes, I was like, brilliant. This is amazing. Let, <laughs> let's have another 30 minutes of this, you know, no problem. Um, and, you know, uh, then obviously um, it, it finished the way it did and everything, and it was incredible. I, I was just, as, as Lionel Messi stepped up for his penalty uh, during the penalty shootouts, I just thought, don't miss. Just <laughs> don't miss, for goodness sake. And he... He put it away extremely confidently. But look, it, it was one for the ages for sure. We, we are going to talk about this World Cup for a very, very long time. Um, and the one thing which which I thought was interesting as well, Kay, um, having a game like that in the way that it was played and the excitement around it, I think it's probably the perfect time for viewers in this country because next up, it's obviously the World Cup in North America, um, which... It is, I think, going to be the biggest event the planet has ever seen. Uh, the World Cup, as far as we're aware, is going to move on to 48 teams as well. So there's, there's going to be a lot more teams. Um, and I, I, I think that World Cup final has set it up um, to, to be a, an incredible World Cup. It, 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 the, the final, the victory for Argentina, I think, as, as you quite rightly said, probably brought in a couple of other people that haven't watched soccer before just because of the excitement of the game. I hope now what that does is it, it transitions moving forward um, and people can actually say, right, we have the World Cup. We, we have that in the next couple of years. That's a very exciting thing to think about. And I, I'm assuming as an American, Kay, as well, you, you must be 
beside yourself in terms of the excitement this will bring. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's one of those things that, you know, it, it feels like an eternity away, but at the same time, the excitement will build. And I know it's not here in North America, but having the Women's World Cup next summer, I mean, now we're only five or six months away from that. We're normally you're waiting a year for another World Cup um, with the men's and women's in between. So I think that the excitement will continue to build. I don't think it's going to slow down. I think you know, uh, leagues around the world, in particular in the United States with Major League Soccer, will will help continue that excitement and bolster that excitement leading into, I know it's four years away, but it'll be on the forefront of everybody's mind, everybody's marketing, everybody's thoughts. You know, there's debate about Greg Berhalter and whether he's going to be back or not. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be a never-ending thing in a positive light. Um, the only sad moment I had was thinking, I'm not going to see Messi in person at the 2026 World Cup. That was the only thing I was like, you know, I've always been a, a Lionel Messi fan well before even, you know, this came about. But um, always wanted, I just love the way he plays and the way he carries himself. And so I was a little sad when that that sunk in um, after the final whistle blew and the final penalty was taken yesterday but i i think that 2026 will have plenty of stars plenty of excitement i don't mind the expansion i know we i talked to Manny lagos about it one day in a pregame show um before a, a watch party and you know with the parody that we saw in this world cup with morocco making it as far as they did i just think the quality across the globe and the yep. standard has been lifted and 2026 will be no different with uh the teams that make it there and what a an honor to be able to wear whatever crest it is for your country and even some of these countries that wouldn't normally make it to represent and the pride that comes with that. I think there's nothing like it in um, 2026 is going to be incredible. It's an outrageous assumption really, wasn't it? To say that, oh, we're having 48 teams. That means the quality is going to disappear or it's not going to be as good. Well, as you mentioned, and as we said on the previous podcast as well with Mark Watson, the likes of Saudi Arabia and Morocco and, and Canada and, and some of the other nations that, um, that, that you wouldn't expect to do well, uh, I think made a very good case for there to be a 48-team World Cup. And that's exactly, as far as we're aware, what we're going to have uh, in the next World Cup. You mentioned um, not being able to see Lionel Messi in person. Um, you may very well see him in person in next year's Major League Soccer season. Um, the suggestion is still there that he may very well sign for Inter Miami. Um, and whilst we're talking of Major League Soccer, uh, our wonderful producer, Grace Dearson, has, uh, has handed us next year's schedule. So we're recording this on Monday morning. Um, we have cast our eyes over this Minnesota United schedule for all of 90 seconds. And uh, I must admit, Kay, so the, the opening game is... Uh, it, it, it's quite ironic, actually. Minnesota starts where it all finished last year, away at FC Dallas. The first home game is March 11th, home to New York Red Bulls. There's something quite ironic about that. I've, I've just thought about this because if you remember in 2020, that's the opponent Minnesota United was supposed to have before COVID happened and the world shut down. Um, I look down at the list and I see some really enticing games. Uh, away to St. Louis on, on April 1st, I think is going to be a big one for, for a lot of different people. Um, they go away to Montreal. They haven't done that for, for a long time. There's some enticing games uh, away at uh, New York City FC. Again, they haven't been to New York City FC since 2017. Uh, away to LA Galaxy and LAFC, Kansas City once or twice. That's always there. Um, this, this looks like a very good schedule for Minnesota United, doesn't it? 
Yeah, and I think it's, you know, speaking of parity, this league is very similar, you know, and as far as on any given day, you never know who's going to win. And you go a home or away now, and I think that even that that um, spread has tightened with teams not being able to find victories away. And it's not because the atmospheres aren't incredible for those home teams. It's just that the quality of this league continues to grow. And I do think that Dallas um, away as the first game in early or excuse me, late February is going to be a good test for this team, knowing with the quality that the FC Dallas roster still has. Minnesota's roster probably isn't finalized yet, but it's same thing. You know, both teams are still trying to bolster before we know it. It's going to be holidays are going to be over. Guys are going to be reporting, heading off to preseason. And February 25th is going to be right around the corner at St. Louis. Yes. What they've been able to do, at least with that stadium, with that fan base coming into this league, we'll see what the team looks like on the pitch because we've all seen that before. You know, it could go one of two ways with the the hype and the buildup and the excitement and the the fancy new shiny new stadium um, and all those kinds of things, but the quality uh, of what they put on the pitch. But yeah, going down this list, Orlando at home is always an interesting one with Adrian Heath's history with Orlando City. There's always a little bit of an extra edge there, whether it's home or away, as we know. But yeah, there is not a bad game on this schedule. And I think that when you look at the quality of this league, the growth of this league, the continued um, transition of players coming over or coming through academies and and the secondary teams, I just think that this is going to be another one of those seasons that um, it'll be here before we know it. And I don't think there's a a bad game on there. And once again, Allianz Field will be the fortress that they hope it is. Absolutely. It seems like it's look. It's not an easy um, first couple of games for Minnesota United. Uh, Dallas away is is always problematic, but I get the feeling Minnesota will be glad to get away from the cold in that particular moment on February twenty fifth. And I can't imagine it'll be piping hot down in Dallas then either. It'll be manageable. It'll be bearable, I think. So probably not a, a bad time to play Dallas at all. Um, although unfortunately later on uh, in the season, Minnesota in July do have to go away to Houston Dynamo. So, uh, good luck uh, to those particular individuals there. Um, but this looks again, like a very good schedule for, for Minnesota United, in my opinion, Kay Red Bulls at home is going to be significant. Uh, Vancouver at home to, to follow that after an away game to Colorado Rapids, um, away to Chicago as well. It's, it's the first time Minnesota have been away to Chicago for some time as well. Uh, let's not forget that to place Minnesota claim their, their first ever away victory as an MLS franchise back in 2017. I'm going to scoring a goal or two that day. Um, well, and I'm assuming they're at Soldier Field, yeah, again? I, I, I so, would assume so as well. Which yeah. is a place that Minnesota has not played. So, you know, that'll be an interesting dynamic playing there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I keep bringing up St. Louis, but new stadium there as well. Um, this, this is full of excitement. Um, and it, it's interesting because we... We speak of the World Cup finishing, and I, I woke up this morning thinking, right, well, what do we do today then? Uh, expecting to find some sort of football somewhere, and um, not quite yet, but it, it is starting up very, very soon. To my knowledge, the English Premier League starts up on the 26th, the, the day after Christmas, which is, is a tradition in the UK, Boxing Day. Um, and then shortly after that, into January, is when La Liga and the Bundesliga return, uh, and other leagues around the world as well, Ligue 1, I believe, um, and the Major League Soccer players will absolutely be in camp. Um, early January is, is what we were told. Uh, I don't quite have a date on that yet, but point is, is that pre-season is legitimately just around the corner. Um, 
in, in terms of what Minnesota United are doing, we know they're going to be a part of the tournament with a, a bucket load of Major League Soccer teams, so we're going to have a good look at them. Um, we don't know what's going on with um, streaming or, or, or the broadcasting of those games. We have no idea yet. I, I have uh, a feeling um, somebody at Major League Soccer is, is figuring something out. Um, but I, I suspect now looking at this, Kay, and, and it's so difficult to predict anything because we, we don't know what the rosters are going to look like. Um, there's going to be a lot of change. We've seen, a, especially now the World Cup is, is finished, I think there's going to be a lot of movement over the course of the next six weeks or so, I think, uh, in Major League Soccer in particular. Um, I, I wonder now, with, with what Minnesota have at their disposal, with what last season bought around, do we expect Minnesota United once again to, to be challenging for the playoffs? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think that has to be, the, in my mind, from my viewpoint, and without having any inside knowledge besides what we all see and what we you know, see from the roster and, and the quality that this roster has, when you have those core pieces that are returning, and yes, there are still, of course, some question marks with depth, but not question marks, in my viewpoint, with a a quality starting 11. I think the only situation that might be up for grabs is just trying to figure out, again, who's going to be that gold, go-to goal scorer that you can count on. And I know we want, you know, they want Luis Amaria to be that guy, but this is a team that absolutely shouldn't be just vying to get into the playoffs. This should be a team that should be hosting a playoff game and then moving on to the next round. It should be just at this point, you know, you're, you're six plus years in, You've got this quality of your roster. You've got this amazing fan base. You've got this insane home field. And you've got some solidity, some, um, you know, everybody understands the, the system that you're trying to play. Everybody understands what Adrian Heath is trying to do and wants to do. So there's no question marks about philosophies and styles and things like that. This is a team that these veteran guys that have been here, Michael Boxall, Will Trapp, we could go down the list, even Robin Lud now, that should know that this is where we need to be. This is the standard. This is what is expected. And anything less than that should be unacceptable for everybody involved. And that doesn't just mean getting into the playoffs. That means advance, you know, a home field advantage and advancing to that next round, which was right in the grasp last year. If you think about where this team was sitting for the majority of the city, the season in that third, fourth, fifth position, right in and around there. So I think that everybody should be excited about this group, about this team and what they should accomplish. And they should be there, if not hosting, and then also moving on to that next round with the quality of this group. Okay. Well, you mentioned six years plus in, which is hard to believe that it's flown by as quick as it has. So what we'll do is we'll take a break. And after the break, we'll look back on the six years from a broadcasting standpoint. Things, of course, are changing. When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopaedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. And a very warm welcome back into the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. 
Now then, uh, some things to discuss, uh, and this is going to be a little bit uncomfortable for you and I because we don't like talking about ourselves. And our uh, executive producer Evan Antler has uh, insisted that we we talk about our time at Minnesota United, um, and and it's it's hard to really put into words, really, isn't it? Um, before we do, let, let's just just inform the the listener, shall we, of, of what's happening um, with this particular podcast and platform moving forward. Uh, it's going to continue. The Sound of the Loons podcast will continue, but it's going to look a little bit different. It's going to sound a little bit different. Uh, Kendra, as far as I'm aware, you correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you're going to be the main host and you're going to have a slew of guests over the course of the season, correct? Uh, that is, to my knowledge, in my understanding, what is going to be the situation moving forward. So I think the most important aspect of of the whole conversation regarding next season is that Everybody will still be able to found a, find a Sound of the Loons podcast weekly, informing people of all things Minnesota United and others. Yeah, you know, I think we're trying to. Um, what Evan is trying to do is incorporate, of course, the the natural discussion about the game that just happened, the game that's upcoming, but also really incorporating some of the legends of soccer that we have in the state of Minnesota and leaning on people like a Manny Lagos, like an Amos McGee, having Adrian Heath on more often, of course, a player as, as often as possible, um, pending schedules, having Calum Williams on, of course. Um, this could be kind of fun, though, because then I get to ask you the questions and you have to have all, you have to have all the answers. So I think that the important thing for listeners is that it will be a regular cadence. You will still be able to find the Sound of the Loons podcast weekly, um, giving you everything that you want to know um, regarding Minnesota United Soccer, the Academy, MNUFC2, and sort of the happenings um, around the league. So maybe some league guests as well as it expands a little bit and we talk a little bit more about um, what's happening in the league from a broader perspective. That's my understanding. We'll see what happens, but I know that people will find something weekly uh, for the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And I would ask people to sort of bear with the pod as well because um it's going to be a situation where we still don't know what we're doing in the sense of um what next year looks like really um so we will keep an eye on minnesota united as much as we can um but uh i think the um the other guests that you mentioned that are in and around the football club are going to be vital and, and and having the head coach on more regularly having the gm the technical director and players on more regularly uh, I think it's probably a good thing, to be honest, because they can probably provide a lot more insight than you or I could, uh, because as far as we're aware, we're not going to be commentating on the team next year. But again, who knows? We we still don't really know. Um, what we have done and what we do know is that we have commentated on the scene for the last uh, six seasons, which um, it, it, it just has flown by and it, it feels like it's been five minutes. Um, and um, the, the one thing where we'll start, I think, Kay, is... Do, do you remember the first game we did? We, it was away uh, at Portland, obviously, and it was on the radio. Um, and um, I was thinking about this uh, last night. Uh, I remember um, we we just about got on air. There was some sort of complication somewhere, which is not uncommon in, in a new broadcasting scenario. Um, but I just remember we, we had gotten ourselves to Portland. Um, I don't remember too much in terms of the... I remember there being a lot of excitement for the build-up, for sure. Um, but I, I remember doing the commentary, and then I remember you and I sitting in, in the lobby in the hotel afterwards. I can't remember if it was a day game or whatever. Uh, I remember being very disappointed with, with my commentary. Um, <laughs> that was and, a and shocker. Being, yeah. 
um, but it's true though, isn't it? We, as a as a broadcaster, at least from from my vantage point, I I can't remember many days leaving whether it's uh, a stadium or a studio or whatever. And we've been walking out, and I've just been like, oh, that was a bit crap, wasn't it? You know, like <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's just um, it, it's the the way that we commentators think, really, isn't it? And um, we're, we're our harshest critic as it should be. But that that first game. Um, we were sort of just thrust into it, weren't we, really? And all of a sudden, here we are uh, doing the, the commentary and, and Minnesota United very quickly became a Major League Soccer franchise and they found themselves down by a couple of goals and, and before we know it, Christian Ramirez comes on and, and scores the first goal in, in the club's MLS history. Uh, a massive blur that, that first year, but certainly that first day. What, what do you remember from it? I remember a couple of things about that. I remember that I was incredibly sick and I remember right. John Guayano, our boss, was there in Portland with us. And he was giving me, you know, like the, the SEPA call, the throat spray, the lozenges. And it was, I, mean, I was like, thank goodness we're doing radio and not television. Because it was one of those, just like, I don't know if my body was still in shock from moving back to Minnesota from warmer huh. climates. You know, I hadn't had that kind of dealt with that in a long time. And I was also thinking, thank goodness it's radio because you have to do 99% of the talking. So <laughs> I, you know, I just remember that not feeling great and trying to like preserve my voice, all the hot tea you can imagine. And then I remember distinctly, and of course it was an incredible atmosphere because you're at Portland and Portland's always amazing. So we understand that they, are, you know, they they have quite the energy there and it was the opening game for them. But the, the hype and the emotion and the adrenaline that's pumping going into the first major league soccer game for this club, for Minnesota United, and just not really knowing what to expect. You knew it was going to be a challenging road because you're a new team and you're an expansion team and you're trying to get this roster together in the preseason and get all your ducks in a row as a club. And then I remember that Portland Timbers scored and Timber Joey's cutting the log. And then, like, they scored again. And I, I remember distinctly saying he hasn't even finished cutting the last log yet, and now he's got to cut another one. And that just felt like one of those moments where it was like a punch in the gut because – these guys were working their butts off out there and they're just trying to, you know, uh, establish themselves and, and Adrian's trying to establish what he wants done with this club. And it was the first game, but either way it was memorable. It was the energy um, in the stadium and the energy around the club, to be honest, because even you think about all the lead up to that and all the different events and the kit reveal and the, this and the, that, and the marketing that was going into it, you just felt there was something great building there. And, um, even though the result wasn't what they wanted in that opening game, it's one of those memorable moments at that time. Yeah, and you know what? I'm just um, just looking this up here. Um, the the first the first team that uh, started for Minnesota United as we're going back in time here, and I, I thought I could probably do this without um, a picture I've just found, but um, we'll we'll do this anyway. So the goalkeeper was uh, John Alberger, you'll remember. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, the back line was from right to left. It was Jermaine Taylor. Uh, it was Vadim Demidov, Francisco Calvo and Justin Davis. A midfield three, I believe, of Rasmus Schuler, Colin Warner and Mohamed Saeed. Uh, it then looks as if uh, it was Bashkim Kadri, Johan, uh, sorry, yeah, Bashkim Kadri, Kevin Molino behind Johan Venegas. Uh, as a front three my how the team has changed <laughs> wow right and, and that is like 
There is no discredit to anybody that was on that roster and played in that game in that moment. I mean, this is the process of building an expansion team. And I remember even some of those names that on the grand scheme and the whole of things maybe weren't the quality that you wanted, but they could all have these like kind of insane moments where they would, you know, I remember Bashkim Bash Kadri just, you know, him, him being able to strike a ball, Johan Venegas that, what he did decide to play could really play, you know, and just out. And we know what Kevin Molino is capable of, but, you know, and Rast, Rasmus Schuller and what he had to kind of try to hold down. A lot of times I think he got the the short end of the stick because he's making up for a lot of other things going on in and around him, you know? So, yeah, I mean, what a, what a crazy 2017 as a whole. And then watching this roster transition and, uh, that's why I say now, you know, moving forward, this team should have so much to be proud of and to look forward to in 2023 because the quality on this roster, this, you know, the solidity of it and uh, everybody understanding what what the method of the madness is going forward with the philosophy and the style. So, yeah, what a craziness that was. I also um, I also remember when Ramirez scored that first goal, our, our producer at the time, Brad Baker, was was sitting to my left. And uh, when Ramirez scored, I do remember him jumping up and legitimately bear-hugging me and, and throwing me around a little bit in the booth. And I think he came over to you and gave you a hug and we're kind of like, we're on air right now, Brad. <laughs> Such was the elation of the moment. I, I guess we'll let him off, but that, that's a moment that sticks out as well. Um, another one as well, a, a, a funny broadcasting moment, and I mean no uh, discredit or uh, ill will towards the individual here, but... I remember one moment that made me laugh legitimately. Um, we were away, ironically, at New York City FC, and we're doing the pregame show. It's you, me, and Jamie Watson on the sideline. And um, Jamie was a, a new broadcaster at the time, and he was um, full of enthusiasm, as he still is, uh, and always wanted to learn and wanted to get things right. And so I remember we had spoken about how we were going to pitch um, to an interview. And and we were just starting to get Jamie to sort of transition and get used to that sort of stuff. And he said, right, OK, Jamie was going to take it and do his piece on the team or something like that. And then he was going to go over to, um, uh, to I think he'd, inter he'd interviewed Jermaine Taylor, I, I think. And uh, he'd done his piece on the, on the team and all of a sudden just stopped. And I remember in our, this is the wonderful thing that people don't realise, in our ears... We hear so much. <laughs> and uh, I remember our producer, uh, Morgan Lubin, who's a name I'm sure you, as the listener, have heard on, on a couple of occasions, um, just threw back to the, the booth camera and was just like, go, go, take it, take it. And I just remember just being like, we, we obviously we were sort of like, I think, slouching on the, the edge or something. Yeah, we weren't camera ready at all. And I, you know, the expectation was that Jamie was going to throw it uh, to this interview. And I just remember just coming back on and going, and one player that's going to mark David Villa today is Jermaine Taylor, who caught up with Jamie Watson or something like that. And I remember just all of us afterwards when that happened, just like bursting out laughing and just been like, what? This is live TV. You know, it's hilarious. And we've had plenty of those moments as well, haven't we, Kate? Right? It's, it's so important. You've just got to laugh at yourself in those situations. Yeah, I mean, I think I've, as as critical as we always are of ourselves, if and I, I remember way back doing, you know, one of the first broadcasts I ever did for Big Ten, and I could not get anything right. And I felt like I stressed about it more and more every time I screwed. You know, it was like where it's a snowball effect. 
So I've learned a long time ago that if you don't chuckle a little bit and laugh off some of your, of course, you don't want to make a habit of making mistakes, but sure. it is live television. And if you can't have a little, just be able to shake it off, it's very much like an athlete in the middle of a game. If you dwelled on every single mistake you made, every turnover you had, you know, then you, you, that it's a snowball effect. It just gets worse. And I just, I love that part of the live television piece is you really are as much as you have a, a plan and a rundown and a thought process of how things are going to go and what you want to talk about and how you're going to answer something. It's live television. It's live sports. And I think that is, you know, the nature of the beast and the beauty of the beast at the same time. And that's what we love about it. And I think that, um, you know, you're flying by the seat of your pants and that's okay. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, the, the, be the, the other thing is, is that if no one on television that's watching it, if no one watching at home realizes that, then you've done your job correctly. And nobody has a clue everything that's going on in our ears all the time. And, you know, if, if something doesn't, you know, the camera shot that we're expecting doesn't come or it gets stuck on another shot too long and you're trying to fill time, whatever it might be. And yep. um, these are all things that I think that we've been able to enjoy, laugh at, look back at, get through for six years, whether it's on the pitch, off the pitch, through a game, in a pregame, in a postgame, whatever it might be, you know, um, yeah. it's been, it's been quite the ride for, for six plus years of, uh, of really being able to feel a part of, of the club and a part of um, the team and, just, yeah, be a part of it all. And I think that's, it's been a unique experience because prior to Minnesota United, I've never worked for a team. I've always covered teams. And so it was a different, unique experience and uh, one that I think I thoroughly enjoyed. And there were, you you start to look back and check off different moments. And I just uh, did a little piece with our video team about different Minnesota United things. And one of the things they talked about was goal calls the Hassani mm. Dotson playoff goal that you had, mm. you know, mm. the, the, I'm sure the Christian Ramirez goal, you know, when you look down the list or how about Ozzy Alonso, the first goal at Allianz field. I mean, is there a specific memory uh, of a goal that you called that resonates with you because it had special meaning aside from just the goal call itself, but the goal. Um, you know me more than most. And, and I, I don't, um, when it comes, you know, people talk about goal calls and all that kind of stuff, and, and I think it's just so important just to to be in the moment. Um, I and and I'll be honest, for the majority of them, I just black out. I have no idea what I say, and I I just say words and hope that they make sense. Um, so I, someone asked me a while ago to sort of recap, you know, like the the goal calls or best goal calls or something along those lines, and I really struggled with it because. Um, <laughs> As we sort of insinuated coming into this bit, we it should never be about the broadcaster. Um, people don't turn on the television or streaming device or whatever, or radio as well. Um, they don't they don't turn on for the broadcaster. They they turn on for whatever the sporting event is, and that that will always be the case. So I found it quite difficult to sort of think of um, you know goal calls and stuff, but uh, just because I've done a little bit recently, the, the one that sticks out is is the, in terms of a moment, is um, uh, the Hassani Dotson uh, playoff moment, because it was just, I've never seen Allianz bounce like that before. Uh, and it was, remember, that was still the first season of the stadium as well. Um, and, and we've seen um, 
the the soccer crowd mature a lot more as well. Uh, and I mean that with all due respect in the sense of what I mean by that really is that the crowd understand the aesthetics of the stadium and how to use it, because uh, that takes time. Um, and we've we've had some wonderful atmospheres at the stadium for sure. Uh, but that, that one, I remember it was just so loud um, because it was essentially confirmation. It was a, a 89th, 88th minute uh, goal that <laughs> something pretty disastrous would have to happen if uh, if you're not going to win the game now. Um, and it just felt like a huge sense of relief. Um, and it was, it was it, for me, that that's my favourite moment of the, in, in the stadium for sure. Um, just because of what it meant for the team um, against Kansas City, who, who are alleged rivals. Um, <laughs> and um, it, it, it was just, it was an incredible moment for sure. And, and I'll never forget that. And, the other one as well, you mentioned it there briefly, Kay, was, was the Aussie Alonso goal, uh, the first ever goal in, in the stadium. Um, I've said this story once or twice, so for, forgive me for rattling on and repeating, but I'll always remember when the goal went in, it was the four of us in the radio booth. It was me and you, Johnny Harrison and Dan Terhar. Um, this this uh, humongous sense of occasion, as there should have been. And I just remember... Um, Ball came in from I think it was the right hand side, and I believe it was was it was it Angelo Rodriguez or Darwin Quintero or somebody was able to just cushion the ball back across, and I can't remember if it took a bounce or not, but it, it sort of skipped up really invitingly for someone to hit it, and out of nowhere sort of came Alonso and he he hit the living daylights out of it and put everything through it, uh, and there's no goalkeeper in the world that was saving it. Um, and again, I just heard this roar come from the stadium and it was just, um, that was a really um, a definitive moment for sure. That that was a, a humongous moment uh, for, for soccer in, in Minnesota uh, because it was the, the first time anybody had probably really experienced anything like that. And um, I, I'll always remember sort of like slouching down. Um, I remember the in the booth, people going crazy, uh, Johnny Harrison jumping up and down and uh, Dan Terhar was, was laughing and I... And I, I you did an exceptional job as a as an analyst over the years, sort of remaining very calm and, and not doing anything. Punching After me I seemed to be you. your yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> punching me was your habit for sure. When there was a great girl, Kendra, or even when there was a pretty poor girl, Kendra would, would just punch my arm. So my right arm has, has been in bits for, for six years now. Um and uh you uh you, you did that then and I, I just remember sort of like slouching down trying to sort of take it in but then you know we're on the radio so we got we got to talk and try and describe it um and saying whatever i did just a load of nonsense and just went extremely squealy and squeaky and, and screaming and what have you and um i just remember uh sort of uh, uh, looking down and in the the booth at allianz um there are seats underneath uh, the broadcasting booth and i just remember looking down and seeing what i'm assuming was a father and a son um and the 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 adult had the child uh, and was you know like cheering you know uh, <laughs> celebrating and because of the way the 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 dad had picked up the child the child was sort of like looking up at at our booth and I just remember the child just like punching the air just and I just thought what an unbelievable moment that is for what I'm assuming is a father and a son like they're never ever going to forget that moment and that to me right there was was the sole reason why we do what we do, um, whether we're working in a different capacity with the team or, or as broadcasters or whatever, because 
that's what we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to create moments. We're trying to inspire, unite and inspire, which is the, the company motto. It's the team, the team slogan. Uh, and then the mission statement is to unite and inspire a community. And, and I couldn't think of a, of a, um, a more compelling moment where that was absolutely and utterly true. Um, so that, that one will always stick with me for sure. That was, that was incredible. Um, but for you as a Minnesotan as well, Kay, I mean, I'm assuming that that particular season must have been really special. Yeah, I mean, I think there was something about 2019 and, uh, you know, that Ozzy Alonso goal christening that stadium in that moment and, and a player like him and a leader like him getting that goal had some meaning to it as well and had kind of a different feeling where sometimes, you know, the goal scorers that aren't the goal scorers become the goal scorers in those moments and um, the way the team celebrated him after he scored that goal. And then, you know, the other thing for me as a Minnesotan, and I, I talked about this recently, is the 2017 home opener, the snowball. Mm. I mean, yes, it was not ideal playing conditions, but it was so perfect for Minnesota to come into this league and play in a blizzard where you're using an orange ball and you're dusting mm. off the lines and seeing the fans in the stands and, you know, everybody sending their selfies and taking pictures and, and the, the result again, wasn't what Minnesota would have wanted, but to come into this league and have it be a blizzard, I don't know. It just kind of felt like a, a true welcoming um, for, for what Minnesota was to become in MLS. So that was another one of those memories that I just remember. And I remember Jamie complaining on the sideline because it's freezing down <laughs> there. And, you know, the snow is swirling around and you're trying to look professional, be professional, but at the same time, it's a blizzard and having mittens on in the booth and everything else. So, you know, there's all these things along the line and incredible, incredible memories. Um, uh, whether it's at Allianz Field, whether it's at training, whether it's on a road trip, whether it's at uh, doing a podcast, whether it's at a company event, whether whatever it might be, you know, I mean, there's just, when you really look back at the six years, it's flown by, but then the milestones that have been reached for this club, um, something to behold and, and the experiences in the stadiums and the places we've been able to see and mm -hmm. uh, be a part of is really something special. So, you know, I, I don't, there, there's nothing I would change for anything of the last six plus years. And I think that, um, you know, it will, the future remains to be seen, but nonetheless, yeah. it, it's been pretty incredible. Before we sort of wrap things up here, Kay, uh, I want to ask you about 2020 because that was uh, a challenge as, uh, as it was for everybody in every sense uh, possible as, as a human being, but as a broadcaster, uh, it provided a couple of different, challenges for us we, we did the majority of the games off tube off, off a monitor um and we weren't sure if we could attend training we, we, we couldn't for a long time we we didn't know what was going on we weren't allowed to, to do a lot and um it, it felt um it, it felt as though we were very very restricted which understandable we, we again didn't really understand what covid was at the time and, and what we were allowed to do and not um but i do remember one of the games we were doing in our sort of little makeshift studio at Allianz Field, which well done to everybody for making that studio look the way it did. Um, I can't remember who we were playing, but there was a situation where I think we were about to kick off or we just kicked off or something. And all of a sudden we just lost the feed completely. And we're still live on air. Our mics are still going. Um, and uh, our producer, Morgan, uh, said to us that there was a fire in the Columbus Crew truck. That's where we were. There was a fire in the truck, and 
for those unaware, for, for away games like that, we we take the uh, we take the the home team feed. So our cameras, we, we we're not controlling anything. We we don't have any cameras there. We we take the the away feed. So we were taking their shots, and they couldn't provide any because there was a allegedly there was a fire in the truck, and I think Morgan had to sort of say right. We're, I think that was I think we we'd just gone to break or something. So we had to sort of we just got set up to do the commentary. And we then had to sort of shift and readjust um, to where we could come back on camera. And, and I think we might have come back on camera. And then we sort of transitioned as they slowly got the feedback to doing the commentary. Um, that was wild. But again, live TV, it, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's one of those scenarios that, you know, you hope that it comes off okay to everybody watching at home. And maybe they just think it's a glitch. And I do remember that we had just turned from facing the camera doing the pregame show and spun around to look at the big wall of televisions to call the game. And then all of a sudden it went blank. So we turned back around and I don't even think we got rewired up. I think we just kept no. the headset on. And then as we were in the middle of doing that, then all of a sudden the giant monitor, the feed came back on. So that we sort of That's right. glamorously transitioned and turned back around and <laughs> And uh, looked at the big screens. But yeah, I mean, that was a, 2020 was a challenge for several reasons. But I think it, the fact that like everybody, it, it's one of those moments where everybody comes together because everybody is trying to do the best they can with the situation that they have. And that's where everybody's really leaning on communication and teamwork. I mean, teamwork isn't just for the team on the pitch. It really runs across mm -hmm. the board in the entire club and our entire yep. production, whatever it might be. We have a fabulous production crew um, that we work with. So everybody that's on site, everybody that's trying to have conference calls to figure out what we're doing, what we can do, what we can't do. And then when even MLS is back, if you even go back to that and what we were, weren't allowed to do because of just the way the, the, the contract was, I think it was with ESPN at the time. And we're trying to do these little pre, 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 pre game hits and then call the That's radio right. or whatever we did, you know? So it was, everybody was doing the same thing to make the best of a crazy situation. We've called enough. Luckily for you and I, we had called so many games off monitor before in our lives that yep. then when we had to do it, it wasn't really all that shocking. Whereas I remember talking to some people that called Timberwolves wild, whatever they had never called a game off monitor. They had always been live in person until 2020. And so yep. it was a little tricky. And, um, and thanks for everybody for sticking with us because you are at the mercy of the camera shots and the things that are coming your way um, from the other, the other home teams. So um, it was, it was a work in progress, but everybody pulled through and it was a, it was one of those things that'll make you better as a broadcaster down the, down the long run. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, if um, if you didn't get through that, then well, uh, that that was uh, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. That that was that was an extreme test for sure as a broadcaster. But uh, look, we got through it and we did it. Um, and then you know, just just last year as well, because um, we we knew fairly early on that it was more than likely going to be the last year. Um, it. It didn't really hit me until we we started having some of like the last, so you know the last away game or you know um, the last uh, production meeting or something along those lines. You know it, that's when it really started to hit me. Um, I, I really enjoyed the last year uh, doing the pregame on the concourse when we could. I thought that was a really good addition to the broadcast and and it gave uh, supporters the, the chance to see the set, I guess as well. So uh, although it took us a long time to get a, a table. Um, but it, and, it was... and it gave us the opportunity to see them. 
You know, I mean, yeah, we don't sure. get to interact with everybody as, as well. And so I think that energy that they provided us for a 30 mm. minute pregame show was welcome, you know, because there is, you feed off of that much like the players feed off of the energy uh, on the field. So that was definitely a massive addition for 2022. Yeah, for sure. That, that was, uh, that was a really good idea. We probably should have done it earlier, but it was a really good idea. And I'm glad we did it for the last year. Um, and like I said, yeah, it was, um, we, we knew, uh, as I said, we, we, we at least um, had an England that 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 was that was going to be it, and and you know that there was going to be a change. We didn't know what, you know. Then Apple got got announced and everything, um, and it, it was that that last game. I think was uh, was unbelievable. I, I still I, I was scrolling through some photos um, the other day, as you do, and and came across the picture of the TFO that fans did for us. And and again, we, we will just never be able to say thank you enough. Uh, to the fans for that because that that was we were both in shock weren't we we, we were both um in the booth we were we were getting ready to call a game we'd just done the pre-game show and, and it was a big game it was lafc I, I think and um it was a big game ahead and all of a sudden we we just look to the right and we see this ginormous tifo come out of nowhere from the wonder wall and um to think that so many people had, had spent so much time and put so much effort into that is I, I can't thank people enough it, it, you know you don't need to do that for us we're broadcasters you know but but thank you it was it was an unbelievable gesture um and uh, I do remember then sort of when we were in the, the midst of looking at it our producer Morgan saying we're, we're live um and I remember just thinking I can't talk right now I just can't talk because I was so taken back by the moment and the TIFO I mean um I'll, I'll never I don't suspect you'll ever forget that, will you, Kay? I mean, what, what a moment. Yeah, I mean, I think that whole day, you know, we had a plan once again. We had a rundown. We have a thought process. Right. We're thinking we're having Sherry Ballard on to talk to mm -hmm. her about stuff. And they flipped the script on us and kind of flipped it to us. And then the TIFO on top of it. It was one of those moments where, and I don't know if I'll still fully understand and appreciate that, uh, that we won't be back at training once training starts next season it you know that was yeah. like a finality of that moment was that last home game and then of course we went on the road to dallas and um did radio there but it kind of felt final that day but then until we don't go back to our normal routine next season that's when i really feel like it will hit home because we were in such a groove of what the cadence is and attending training every day and and sort of being a part of that and that particular day and when that tifo went up and just the um, the overall reaction from the the fan base. I think that that's just something that you get when you work for a club, when you're not covering a club from a national perspective, that you are ingrained in these people's lives and the, on their televisions every week, uh, you know, in their podcast, whatever it might be. And um, just the appreciation, whether people were giving you positive feedback or constructive criticism, you still know that they're watching and they're listening and they're appreciating what you're bringing to them. And there's a respect level there that goes both ways. So when that TIFO went up, it really was one of those moments where we know the time and energy it takes because we've gotten those emails before from Craig saying, hey, supporters need some help. Can someone who can help and paint this and do that and put this together as they're trying to get this stuff together and they're all volunteers and they're all pitching in. So for them to do that on their own and to show that, and then the response we got from other broadcasters around the league yeah. that we know after they had seen that, 
I think it just, it was, it's a mutual respect that, um, you know, that we have for the supporters and the fan base and, and vice versa. And I think that's just something that um, definitely didn't go unnoticed on our part. And on, you know, we appreciate every single bit of it and it's been quite the ride. It has. Um, so before we go, some, some thank yous on, on this pod, because the, the podcast of Sandra Loons has been going for, for several years now, and it sort of just came up as a little idea, I think, um, oh, my word, when was it, in 2018, maybe 2019, I can't remember, it's, it's, it's been a while, it's been a couple of years, um, so just a big thank you to, to Steve McPherson, who was the uh, original creator, of, if you will, of, of The Sound of the Loons, and, and all the efforts that he put in over the years, uh, Steve now no longer with the football club, but doing very well elsewhere, um, and a great follow on Twitter. Um, but uh, thank you to him for, for the idea and for allowing us to continue this. Um, a big thank you to our production team over the years as well. Um, Andrea Correa, uh, Evan Endler, and now our wonderful producer, Grace Dearson. Um, it, it's, been, uh, it's been great to do the podcast. Um, we hope it has been as informative as you have wanted it to be. We hope it's been as entertaining as you would have wanted it to be. Um, and like we said earlier on, this podcast is not disappearing. Um, Kendra's going to take over and, and it's going to look a little bit different next year with, as we said earlier on, with a couple of guests here and there. Um, so it's not completely disappearing, but it is going to look quite different next year. Um, I suspect you'll probably do a podcast in January, Kay, with regards to uh, pre-season. The players are returning to pre-season. I believe they're returning to camp, sort of, is it the second week of January? So uh, maybe the the listener can expect a, a podcast in second or third week of January, no? I would assume so. I mean, yeah, they come back. I think they head to Florida. Then they're doing that Coachella tournament, which should be phenomenal. Yep. Um, so I think that there will be a number of things that will be um, on the forefront to keep people uh, informed of what's going on. Because we all know that preseason, that January, early February time is when people are craving that information and you're trying to provide it. We know our social digital team, the video crew, and not knowing what's going forward, you know, with broadcast, with there's, mm -hmm. you know, the Apple deal, the channel that people are going to be able to find content on, hopefully. I think that they're going to be working their tails off to make sure that, and of course, we have the written content, which is always phenomenal as well on the site. So there will be a little bit of everything, making sure that people get their Minnesota United fix um, at the start of 2023. Absolutely. Uh, a big thank you to Grace Dearson, as always, for button pressing wonderfully. Uh, thank you to you for listening at home on uh, what has been uh, a different podcast, um, but a podcast that I'll always remember, a very, very wonderful six years with Minnesota United. A big thank you to Kindred D. St. Auburn as well for putting up with me uh, and being a wonderful broadcast partner uh, for the last six years. Um, it has absolutely flown by. Uh, and it will always go down as as uh, a complete and utter thrill, uh, a major memory in my lifetime. And I'm always going to have a very special place uh, for Minnesota in my heart, for sure. So thank you to everybody. Thank you to the coaching staff. Thank you to more than anybody, uh, you, the fans, for listening. Uh, we hope it has been exactly what you wanted it to be. Uh, the Sound of the Loons will continue next year in a different format, as we said. So make sure you log on to mnufc.com for all your information about Minnesota United, as we said, preseason is just around the corner. Kindra and co will be keeping you up to date for sure. Um, once again, and for one last final time, you've been listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. <laughs>